I'm Dan Belmont, here with Paul Brady and a fresh episode of A Northern Wine Odyssey. This podcast is presented by Cork Report Media. To listen, search A Northern Wine Odyssey in Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts. Today, Paul gives a shout-out to the good wine coming from our friends at Living Roots Wine, and I'm fresh off a research trip to New York's Finger Lakes wine region. Let's dive right in. All right, from the Hudson Valley, New York, and somewhere near Myrtle Beach is where Dan Belmont is. Welcome back to the States. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I hope they made it nice for you. Oh, I yes. Told them. Oh, yes. And the Americans, very warm, very welcoming to uh, to foreigners. <laughs> Always. It's like we have that reputation. Yes. Yes, but no, it's been a good trip. I mean, we've we've been we've been touring the the the, the baby uh, up and down the East Coast, meeting grandparents. It's it's been lovely. Gotta see the baby. That's it, man. She's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into your trip, which is a pretty big trip, I have had a couple wines lately that I feel are worth talking about. You probably know these wines. Sure. Two in particular, that I'm thinking of from Living Roots. You know those guys in Rochester, do, Colleen yeah. and Seb. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool urban winery in Rochester. They also make wine in Australia, I believe, under the Living Roots label as well. And they they popped in kind of recently, and I tasted uh, a few wines. I have one or two more from them still to taste. But the one that I had most recently, just a couple of nights ago, was their 2020 Cabernet Franc, which is just quite a delicious and powerful Cab Franc, as so many from the 2020 vintage are. Uh, I got home from work around eight o'clock on Sunday and Sierra had this like perfect spatchcock chicken. And I was like, I, we need some Cabernet Franc with this. So I, I happened to have that one in the wine fridge, pulled it out, had a sort of the perfect amount of chill on it. And you know, that bottle was gone fast. Mm. That, that was uh, a juicy, but also structured by some Oak and like, like I noticed the oak, but I wasn't mad at it at all. Like the cherry vanilla thing was working quite nicely. Nice, medium, plus bodied, really refreshing Cab Franc with that chicken. And then the other wine from them that I, I picked up for the shop is called their Session Sparkling. It's oh, yeah. um, made with mostly with the Elvira grape. Did you get to taste this? I think I had the, I've had the red and the still white. I have not had the bubbles. So I, I think it's Colleen's family that has uh, some vineyard on a farm on Cuca Lake, and there are some old Elvira vines, Elvira being one of the Labrusca grapes, along with Catawba and Delaware and many others, uh, that they used back in the 19th century to make sparkling wine and fortified wines. And I don't know, I can't recall ever having a wine with that grape before. It's probable that I have at one of the competitions or something. But uh, it's definitely got that Labrusca character, but it's not like all the way Concord or Niagara, you know, in, in that it's not like so grapey. And then I think there's about 20% Riesling in there too. And they did it uh, in the Prosecco method over at Swedish Hill using their tanks. That method is good for our grapes and you can price the wines nicely. Uh, and this is a just a great example of that. And it's like 8% alcohol, which is why they call it Session. Uh, so that's that's been a fun one. I, I opened it up and poured it for some people at the bar one night. We might run it by the glass, but as of now, it's on the shelf for something like 22 bucks. 
Yeah, it seems to me that the majority of producers are leaning in more to the method ancestral pet nat style uh, as opposed to the Charmant tank method Prosecco style. And so you have a lot of traditional methods kicking around and then a lot of new fun uh, pet nats. And um, I'm not complaining. No, I shouldn't either. And, and there's really only a few places that have proper tank method equipment, Swedish Hill being one of them. You know, Pleasant Valley Wine Company has the transfer method gear, a little bit different, similar con- concept, but a little different. I believe that's kind of more popular in in Germany and that part of Europe. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think Brotherhood has the tanks for Charmant, and that that might be it. Maybe I'm missing one, but uh, I really think there's not a lot of equipment going uh, around to use. So kudos to the Living Roots team for for getting in line and getting it done over at Swedish Hill. All right, so let's talk about your trip. Take take us through from the beginning, because you went... You were on assignment for New York Wine and Grape Foundation, yeah? Yep. This was kind of an extension of the uh, New York Wine Guide and Curriculum Project that we just wrapped up the first phase of. I was doing some interviews on camera, different producers and growers to create uh, or build rather our video library where uh, you can kind of just uh, click in and and hear from producers talk about things like sparkling wine in New York State, uh, sustainability, uh, Riesling, Cab Franc hybrids, natives. I did a special on um, the Niagara region itself when I went up there for the first time. And so I did four days in the Finger Lakes uh, and I did a day and a half with travel uh, up to the Niagara Escarpment. And it was, a, it was a really wonderful trip. I mean, it's always great to go to these regions in the, the kind of high season where you've got grapes on the vines. Everything's quite lush despite <laughs> desperately needing rain in the region. Uh, but the, the vines are, are, are hanging in there and uh, as they do, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great trip to just kind of catch up with old friends and, and make some new ones too. Um, I got to, to taste a lot of new new stuff. It was um, it was great. So let's uh, let's go from the beginning. So you landed in New York wine country first first off in the Finger Lakes, correct? Correct. I land. I flew into Rochester. So Rochester, nice kind of midway point between the Finger Lakes to the southeast, and then your Niagara Escarpment over to the west. From just coming in from DC, so I was already I was already in the states. Uh, so a really easy flight over, uh, and I've got my camera equipment and my my ragtag bag of clothes, and and you know, and that was it. I was traveling light, uh, and so hopped in the rental car and drove down to Seneca Lake, where I was staying. Quiet night that evening. We went to uh, Laurentide Beer Company in Penyan. I really enjoyed it. Okay, and why don't you give me um give me a rundown of the wineries that you that you visited or some of the wines that maybe you drank at a dinner or something like that, like maybe shoot off the list and then I, I'll have questions for sure. Okay, here we go. So day one was Kiuka Lake. So I went over to the west side of Kiuka and I met with Stephen Taylor at Bully Hill. From there, I made my way north and I met with Suzanne and Art at Hunt Country Vineyards. Uh, they're in kind of, uh, it's over by like Branchport, yeah? From there, I went and met with Peter Weiss except that I forgot a cord and I had to go all the way back to Seneca and then all the way back to Cuca. I spent a lot of time in the car on this trip. Uh, but then Peter Weiss uh, was was wonderful. And then uh, that evening, I uh, I had more beer at uh, Laurentide Beer Company, which was great. <laughs> and then uh, went and I stopped at the Spotted Duck for some duck custard ice cream. Absolutely fantastic. I uh, did a little flight of, of ice creams there like you do. And then had some barbecue for dinner at, at Smoke and Pete's. Uh, which is a new addition on uh, the west side of Seneca. And so that was day one. All right, cool. So let's start with day one. All right, th- this is neat because you went to some wineries that are that are interesting uh, that 
I, I haven't been to in a little while. So let's talk, let's start with Bully Hill. That's pretty cool. You got to meet with one of the Taylors. So Bully Hill, um, you know, founded by Walter Taylor and uh, previously of, you know, the very famous Taylor Wine Company. We're talking about the same Taylor family. And Lillian Taylor still still rules that place with an iron fist, yeah. Uh, but Stephen Stephen's a Stephen's a teddy bear. I absolutely uh, uh, loved uh, uh, chatting with him, uh, and we filmed in their museum that they have on site. They have a winemaking and uh, museum and art gallery uh, that's all uh, kind of uh, old old Taylor uh, memorabilia and artifacts, and um, it's a it's a special place. I love this. I have not. Been, this is up at the winery, like on site on the what, like west side of Cuca. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's right out of Hammondsport. You're 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 maybe five minutes out of Hammondsport. It's quite easy. I've eaten at the restaurant, but I've not spent much time there otherwise. So, what are what are the flagship wines that? currently Bully Hill is putting out there. Yeah. So the majority of their production is hybrid varieties, uh, which aligns up very much with the kind of their, their historical impact on, on the region, um, you know, in the uh, kind of mid uh, 20th century. Yeah. They, I mean, they do a little bit of everything with, with all of it. Um, they, they also work with some, some vinifera. I've had their Cabernet Franc before. I was uh, given a sample of their estate red, which is uh, a blend of all red hybrids, all estate grown. Uh, and, uh, I'm going to tuck that one away. It's, he actually said, um, it's, it's not ready yet. It's, uh, it needs more time. So he says, come back to it in a couple of years and you're going to be uh, really, really happy with that. And so, uh, throughout the trip, I collected about uh, 24 bottles and, uh, shipped them back to the United Kingdom for me. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to receive that on the other end and start really digging into to some of these and sharing them with uh, the UK trade. I need to get up and check out this museum. That's something that I was not aware of. Yeah, I think it's a special place. And I think, you know, their um, impact on uh, the Finger Lakes wine region and New York State wine is is uh, quite important. And uh, the company, you know, uh, remains remains important today. And so, um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth checking out. I think we might have to, I'm going to go up there, dig into the history a little bit, and we might have to do an episode about the Taylor Wine Company yeah. and the history of it. On the on one of the walls at, at our shop, um, and bar there's, um, we like to make these silly little kind of terroir wine bar style memes. If you've ever seen what they do. Uh, and we have one where I found this old photo of a Taylor wine company bottle of cold duck. And we essentially Photoshopped our, our brand, our logo onto it. So it says Paul Brady wine, cold duck. And it's just this great old advertisement and it's, it's on a frame on the wall. Um, so I, I'm, I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I'm going to dig into some Taylor history. We'll do an episode. We should get Steven on. He's uh, he's he's really he's great. Okay, cool. So Weiss, um, they they've had a big year. Oh yeah. And I hear a lot about these wines. I have had some of the wines. They're they're certainly good. And I don't think that they are distributed. Perhaps down down here. I think if they are doing some distribution, it might be direct from the winery these days. So my understanding is that the wines are quite good, that a lot of people would like to get their hands on these wines. Uh, they, you may have to order direct or, uh, it, you know, whether you're a consumer or in the trade or, or just pay them a visit. Um, and they had a good year uh, at the New York State Wine and Grape Foundation competition. Yeah, they sure did. Best overall Riesling, uh, best dry rosé and winery of the year. And they have their own vineyards over there. And I imagine they're sourcing some grapes, too, but they do have their own vineyards. Yeah. So they are currently sourcing most of their fruit. 
Uh, they do have an estate vineyard that was planted in the spring of 2020, and they're looking for their first small yield uh, this fall in 2022. Uh, they've got some Riesling, Chardonnay, Cabernet Franc, and Saparavi planted. Big, big new beautiful winery too, right? Really big, new, beautiful winery. Um, you know, they expanded their tasting room. It used to be an unair conditioned barn, and now it's an air conditioned barn with a gorgeous tasting room that really just looks right at the bluff on on Kiyuka with really uninterrupted views. And that's kind of hard to get on that side. The wines are really consistent and really solid across you know all their cuvées. Really, I I, I grab their Blanc Frankish. Uh, they have a Cayuga and Riesling cross, and they call it Heart of the Lake. And I thought it was just really, really uh, well balanced. Balanced and, and lovely. So um, unique hybrid uh, NY 81.0315.17, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, very, very sexy names coming out of Cornell University, Riesling and Cayuga White. Uh, and they just uh, did it with the two and a half percent residual sugar. Uh, and But um, it's got all the acidity for days. And uh, yeah, I was, I was a big fan of that. I think it was one of the top hybrids uh, that I tasted on the trip. The dry rosé that won best rosé is a blend. It's Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Blau Frankish, uh, and it's just uh, 1.1% residual sugar. They also do 100% Zweigelt rosé, uh, which is also quite, quite good. Okay, and then, so that was, this is, we're still talking Weiss, and then after that was Hunt Country, yeah? Uh, yeah, reverse them, but yep. Gotcha. Um, now that's, uh, you know, Hong Country has certainly been uh, a force in progressing the farming, the new sustainability program, um, and, and they even have a certified organic block of Cayuga, if I believe. Yeah, they're definitely at the forefront of the sustainability uh, kind of movement here. Um, Suzanne Hunt is just uh, sharp as a tack. Uh, <laughs> she, she was dancing circles around me. Uh, it was quite a fun interview, and uh, she's quite, quite passionate. Sustainability is, is a bit of a tough banner to wave because it is so kind of ambiguous in, in terms of what it is, at least with something like organics, you know that you're you're working with organic, you know, compounds in, in your vineyards, right? You're making organic product. But sustainability is more than that. Sustainability is social. Sustainability is financial. Sustainability is, you know, protection of your land. The big takeaway speaking with with so many producers and growers throughout the weekend, um, you know, sustainability is is generational growth for these guys. You know, these are family businesses. The Hunts um, have been growers for, for, for several generations and uh, they've had the winery for a few and, and you know, and they want to keep seeing it last for, for many more generations. And in order to do that, you have to be holistic uh, with your approach to all of those aspects, the social bit, the financial bit, the, the land bit. And so, yeah, she was, um, she was a really, really, I'm, I'm so excited to share the footage from my interview with her. Uh, she's a, a really wonderful spokesperson for all of it. Yeah, I, I'm really liking what I'm hearing uh, in terms of the, the the conversation around sustainability from from New York growers and and wineries these days. Because, like you mentioned, it's just so confusing: organic, natural, sustainable, you know, biodynamic, practicing organic, what regenerative, whatever it is. It's you know, the consumer is is confused. The cons like consumers will walk in and say. Do you have any organic wines? And we'll have a conversation and I'll find something. But really, maybe what they were looking for was, do you have any wines that taste more like natural wine in the fashionable sense, mm -hmm. right? They didn't, what they, they didn't really want to hear about the farming. What they wanted is to taste a wine that tastes a certain way. Or it could be the other way around. Somebody might come in and say, do you have any natural wines? And I'll find them something that tastes that way, but maybe comes from a conventionally farmed site or, or whatever, or, or a site that's in transition or whatever it may be. So 
what you just said was a very nice, clear package to kind of like tie up the sustainability conversation with with a bow and present it to people. Because I think that's that's what we need to be doing these days and to to clear up some of this confusion. That's certainly what we're aiming to do. I think it is very much like trying to put New York State into a tidy little box. It is a, a bit of a fool's errand. But what we're hoping to do is just tell people the way that different producers and growers are approaching the sustainability uh, aspect of their business and just kind of put it into real context and show kind of at each step of the life of these plants, right? Because again, wine is an agricultural product, um, you know, and, it, and sustainability can start from making a decision as to what to plant, where, and how, right? And then it goes from there. And then it's how you treat the grapes. And then it's how you treat in the winery. And then it's how you treat your staff. And then it's how you decide to stop using, uh, you know, tin capsules. And when you move into, you know, natural cork and think, you know, all those kind of decisions along the way um, ultimately create a sustainable picture for, for these wineries. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, I think that's, that's exciting. And so that's, that's what we're going to try and do with this video and this presentation that we'll put together, uh, is just kind of give it some, some, uh, real world examples and, and try and, and yeah, get people, people to just, uh, appreciate the effort that's going into all of it, you know? And so of, of their wines, I brought back, um, two of their uncharted terroir series, and these are, uh, hybrid grapes. Uh, and so the first one is, uh, the, uh, Chamberson which is a Tenturier variety. Uh, and so it's got um, both red skins and red pulp on the inside, which is which is not common uh, for uh, the vinifera um, varieties that we're, we're, we're most used to. And so uh, I really, really enjoyed that wine. Um, you know, neutral oak uh, uh, treatment. So you just kind of have really bright cherry and um, just nice smooth edges. So really, really good. And then the uh, they did a Vignoles, what they did with skin contact. And so nine days fermenting on its skins and stainless steel. And I thought those were just uh, two epic wines. And so I snagged a couple of those as well. Was the Skin Contact Vignole, is that a dry wine? Yes. Yep. Cool. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And now are they, are they farming some of their blocks? I know they have the one organic block of Cayuga. Are they, which it, which they got certified, are they farming organic? Are they practicing organic in other blocks? Like to the extent that is, you know, safe and reasonable for them? So the 24 acres of land that they have immediately surrounding their winery and tasting room are certified organic. Uh, at the south end of the farm, they've trans. I'm on their website. I'm not just saying this from memory. <laughs> uh, at the south end of the farm, they transitioned a block of Vignoles, Cayuga, and Niagara grapes to organic production. Cool. Yeah, I think that you know this is really. It's still. It's a good conversation, and it's an ongoing conversation, and I have hope that we will continue to just make things easier for the consumer to understand uh, how, how to how to choose wines and how to recognize that there is no one size fits all. Um, I was talking to I was talking to John Wagner recently and he gave me a, what I found to be a very satisfying explanation of of sustainability, you know, for someone, I think they've, the Wagners have had that land for five generations. Um, and, it, and it's really about paying it forward. So, so that, you know, their kids have, have land to farm and good, good wines to, to make and sell and drink. And, um, you know, if you can do that, then you've found a sustainable model, uh, you know, and as long as you're taking care of the land. And then I just think it's fascinating because, uh, talking to people like, Nathan Kendall, who works with a certified organic vineyard, but even he will tell you like, look, just because copper is organic doesn't mean people like working with it or that right. it's good to use. Like I'm just looking at something um, 
just a quick Google search. Uh, there's a quote from um, Charles Philip Onat of Philip Onat Champagne, who says, natural is good, synthetic is bad. That's too basic to reason that way. The objective is to make fine wine in a way that doesn't leave a negative impact for our children. I like that. Yep. I like that too. I mean, you know, it's also worth noting that plenty of wine regions in the world that we wholeheartedly accept and drink on a regular basis that are almost exclusively conventional and can't switch to and would struggle to switch to organics or, or, you know, biodynamics uh, because of their climate. There's just, you know, like the Finger Lakes, there's just too much damn humidity. And yet we don't question the Basque region in Spain, right? We just say, oh, it's from Spain. Great. Got to drink it. You know, Chocoli, we love it. Ah, oh, so good. You know, the the amount of organic fruit coming out of Chocoli is is next to nothing. Um, and we don't, you know, put that under the same scrutiny as we do our, our New York region sometimes. So uh, just, a, just a friendly reminder there. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I once heard Paul Greco talking about Germany. And, you know, I think there is... Uh, a bit of crossover uh, in terms of what he was arguing, which is like, okay, so yes, the Basque region, maybe they're not farming the way that the the certain uh, people would like the narrative to be, but yet they still sort of are drawn to those wines, right? And maybe they're not drawn to, to German wines the same way or wines from the Finger Lakes or New York in the same way. And one thing that Paul said was he was like, well, Germany is not thought of as like a sexy country. You don't think about like going and having your honeymoon in Germany, but everybody wants their honeymoon in Italy, France or Spain, right? Right. Uh, everybody thinks about wine and they want to use it as an escape and they escape to the beautiful, you know, countryside of, of rural France and Southern Mediterranean. They're not thinking about, you know, Northern Europe. They're not thinking about the Rust Belt of New York, right? Uh, these are, <laughs> and, I, and I think that does play into, into the minds of people when, when, when they're trying to wrap their heads around what wine to choose. Absolutely. So, you know, the Basque region of Spain, that's, that's, that's a, a place that I think people would like to escape to. So they're drawn to the oh, wines, yeah. no matter how conventional. Absolutely. San Sebastian and, and um, Bilbao are the phenomenal places to visit. And I love Chocolate. I think the wines are great. Uh, and so, you know, you have to keep your own counsel, I think, at the end of the day. But just remember that, that you know, you know, New York is not uh, unique uh, necessarily in uh, the, the challenges that they have uh, in the vineyards. And so, um, yeah. Day two, you want to go day cool. two? Yeah, we'll let it roll here. Day two. So day two, I am now, um, I'm on our sideways trip. I'm, I'm east side of Seneca. And so I started with Bruce Murray at Boundary Breaks. Uh, fantastic. Then I went down to Hector Wine Company where I met with Jason Hazlitt. And then from there, I went, after that, I went back over to the other side of Seneca where I met with Mike and Brooke Kalisi, who are uh, wonderful uh, grape growers. And from there, I ended up having dinner with Kelby Russell, which was lovely, at his, at his home in Geneva. We had a little barbecue. It was a good day. It was a good day. What, uh, what's new and exciting at Boundary Breaks? Uh, you know, Bruce is, 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 is wonderful. He's a, he, he, <laughs> I gave him his microphone. He put it on, and we were done within five minutes. He knew exactly what he wanted to say on all of the topics. He said it. He said it succinctly. He's a one-take wonder. <laughs> and we moved on. I probably spent more time getting B-roll in his vineyards than I did talking to him. I feel like interviewing Bruce is, must be like interviewing Bernie Sanders. It's like you ask a question <laughs> to Bernie Sanders, and it's just like a yes, no, next question. <laughs> 
but no, he was, he was incredibly succinct with, you know, his, his responses and, um, you know, again, topics that we were discussing, uh, Cabernet Franc and, uh, sustainability with him. And, uh, I think, um, I think his wines are, his wines are very good. Uh, his wines, I think they have been, I mean, I remember doing tastings with him in his, his kitchen in his personal kitchen. Uh, now he's got another, you know, another, another producer with a big, beautiful winery. He's got incredible uninterrupted views of Seneca Lake, uh, because he's pretty far north and um, it's at that really, really wide point of the lake. And so he's got a really just lovely setup for hospitality. You know, we had talked about going to Three Brothers and just sitting out and, and relaxing and, and drinking some wine. And uh, it's, that was a, that's a beautiful place to do it. I highly recommend it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Bruce is, um, Bruce is making great stuff. Uh, and I think, you know, his, uh, his business, his hospitality setup is, is gotten just smarter and smarter uh, as they've kind of uh, gone through COVID and, and now coming out the other end and they've got just a, a great setup there. All right. And those wines are widely distributed. They're in a lot of States. So people, you can, you can find the boundary break stuff. Uh, yeah, Bruce did a great job getting, getting out there and hitting the road early on. So Hector Wine Company, that's that's an exciting place to talk about, I think. This was a first for me. I, I have not met uh, Jason Pryor. I might have had one or two kind of come across my desk, but uh, this was really nice to go through and, and taste everything. And there were some, some definite surprises too. Yeah, we have on the shelf from them right now, like I think four wines. Mm-hmm. We've got Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Syrah. Yeah, the Syrah was good. Yeah, I got very excited about the Syrah. And we had Sauvignon Blanc, too, for a little while. I need to get more of that. Yeah, okay, so yeah, aren't those wines, like, freaking phenomenal? And that's another, like, I'm honored to have them on my shelf because they're not they're not distributed statewide. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I've got uh, the Syrah, which I was a big fan of. I mean, really, everything that I tasted was, was quite good. I've got another one that's um, a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Riesling that they call Sauvling. Uh, and... Um, that's a fun one too, I think. And they're excited about it because it's a, you know, no one else does that. And I think that's, uh, that's fun. I think people, you know, uh, should, should be working towards, you know, their unique strengths. Yeah. And just, uh, just so we don't confuse people even more different Hazlitt family from the Hazlitt winery, they are related, but they are different. So yes. the Hazlitt family you're talking about are the owners of the vineyard Sawmill Creek, which mm-hmm. is connected to Hector Wine Company. That's a, that's a, an exciting winery to watch. For yeah. people may, who may be visiting the region from afar, who have not uh, maybe seen those wines on the shelf or at restaurants, if you're coming from like the city or whatever, uh, definitely don't let that deter you from stopping in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, what 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 was next? So you you mentioned Boundary Breaks, uh, Hector, Red Newt. After that, I went and picked up some gas and made my way back up to the other side of the lake, uh, and I met with Brooke and Mike Kalisi, uh, who uh, grow. Um, some grapes on the uh, kind of north uh, west side of Seneca, and so yeah, they're they're doing good stuff, and they've been um, their family's been farming for for some time now. Yeah, they were um, they were lovely. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I met Mike when I first started working at the Wine and Grape Foundation, and we've remained in touch. Spoke to him on the phone the other day. His new job sounds cool, like in charge of like all East Coast growing for Gallo. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. And he's doing a day job, which is which is crazy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think any winery would be lucky to get fruit from uh, Mike's Vineyard, which I think is called Kashong Glen. Correct. Yes. Okay. Cool. 
All right, before we forget, though, hold on. You you mentioned a barbecue restaurant that I am not familiar with. What what was this new one? Smoking Pete's. So just north of um, where the Spotted Duck uh, kind of ice cream shop is on that west side of Seneca Lake. Uh, I don't remember if there was something there previously, uh, but it's a pretty big space, and he's got some space outside too. It's set up like a like a roadside bar, quite warm and friendly and good music and and whatever and i'm at the bar and i'm looking at the menu and i turn to my left and i look down the bar on my side and there's a big guy and he just looks at me and he smiles with this big ear-to-ear grin and this and he waves at me very goofy and i was like oh okay weirdo how you doing man you know hi <laughs> wave wave back go about my business next thing i know he's on the other side of the bar and uh and i started chatting with him really really nice guy i mean just uh super uh outgoing and, and gregarious I, I really uh enjoyed his company and then i asked him his name and he goes oh no i'm, I'm pete this is this is my place i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm smoking pete <laughs> Uh, and I was like, oh, my man, what a great, you know, what a great uh, uh, way to meet somebody. And um, the food was good. Did a, did a pulled pork uh, uh, sandwich and um, maybe some onion rings or something, too. I, I ate way too much on this trip. Uh, everything I ate was, was really good. Uh, kind of fun spins on on kind of your, your classic bar, bar fare. Well, you know that I can't pass a barbecue joint without going in. So I think that, yeah, I think that menu will just keep getting getting better and better, I think. All right. Smoke and Pete, I'm coming. Coming for you. Um, are we on to day three? Uh, we are on to day three, and now at this point things get foggy. So I have to remember what <laughs> what I did on day three. Day three was a casual day. I didn't have any uh, set appointments. But oh, you had a self day? Uh, yeah, I had a self day. But like all I did was the exact same thing. I went back and forth around. I must have I must have lapped Seneca six times. I mean, it was um, it was it was good. I got to see a ton of people. But uh, it was a bit of a, of a messy uh, itinerary. I went and started actually at Herman Weimer and tasted through everything there with Oscar. Um, you know, what's there to say? They make great wine. Um, their Magdalena Cab Franc is, is still a favorite. Uh, I also very much enjoyed their uh, Brute Sparkling, the 100% Riesling. Uh, just, just fantastic. Then I went over to Forge Cellars and met with uh, Rick Rainey and tasted through their stuff. Loved his, his setup high on the hill. Um, and, uh, and yeah, had a nice, nice visit with him and catch up with him. And, uh, we're hoping to do more with his wines in the UK. Yeah. I, I, man, I, we just started pouring the 2019 Riesling Classique by Mm -hmm. the glass from Forge. Um, sadly ran, ran out of, uh, the the 2016 Bellwether A and D dry Riesling, which Mm -hmm. I had, you know, purchased all the remaining inventory that I could find of it. And that was our by the glass. And I got down to six bottles, and I was like, you know what? I gotta pull these. I pulled these, and I'm gonna. Those are now in the in the cellar, and uh, so we moved into the forge. Um, and certainly, people like it. And I, I just gotta say, one thing that I love about it is that it's in a burgundy bottle. Yeah. It's not in that <laughs> tall, you know, hawk bottle or whatever mm-hmm. they're called that don't fit in any refrigerators. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so, yeah, the wine's good, but you know what? That bottle. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that, that continued to be a big day. I went from there uh, and picked up uh, a couple of bottles of bourbon from uh, the Finger Lakes Distilling Company. Nice. Also bringing back to the UK. Yeah, I, we have the Mackenzie bourbon on the shelf, but then we also use the their grape brandy to uh, as, a, as an ingredient in a French 75, which uh, I learned that the original recipe was with brandy or cognac. And then later it switched to gin when there was a phylloxera 
issue. Uh, so it's easier to get gin, I suppose. Um, but we're using the OG recipe and it's, uh, it works really nicely in that. Yeah. I love that they're doing, they have the Seneca drums gin in a box now. And I think it's like 2.6 bottles, but then, you know, ends up in this nice little tidy box that is lightweight and you could just stick it in your fridge and it stays cold all the time. And, uh, yeah, I think they've, um, you know, I've been visiting them for, for 10 years now and, uh, they just get better and better. And so we brought the, brought the bourbon and the rye, uh, we'll go back to the UK with me and, and hopefully we can find them a home. Nice. Yeah. Uh, from there, I went to Hillock and Hobbs, uh, ah, which was a first. Yep. Which was a first. Uh, yep. Uh, and this is a brand new uh, tasting room that's open. They have two vintages under their belt. They just make the one wine. They just make a dry Riesling. Uh, and so they have a 19 and 20 vintage, which they pour in a vertical for you, which is um, which is fun. I hope you know, it'll be exciting to see that vertical get wider, <laughs> bigger, uh, but, uh, really, um, really great approach. Again, hospitality wise, they really nailed it. The place is, is a very lovely setting and it's got some really, really incredible views. Uh, and they made some interesting choices in terms of planting their vineyards. Uh, they're basically doing, um, you know, very Mosul style, very high, steep slopes, very dense plantings, uh, running just kind of uh, perpendicular straight down to the lake. So, um, uh, yeah, be excited to kind of watch them continue to grow and get more vintages under their belt. And, uh, and, and yeah, they'll be a, they'll be a mainstay for sure. Yeah. And Lynn Fahey, who is one of the winemakers involved, uh, is fierce. I don't know another way to describe her. Um, she's just pretty badass. She did some great work over at Anthony road, um, prior to this and then, uh, Cuca spring. And she is, uh, just, you know, a very dedicated, passionate, smart, hardworking, and, and will, you know, always never cut a corner, you know, like, yeah, those, those, uh, those steep vineyards that, uh, that run, uh, east to west, as opposed to north south, she's, she's just the type that's like, bring it on, you know, bring on the challenges. Uh, and then from there, I went uh, and met up with the Red Newt team that was doing a wine club visit to one of their vineyards. It was the Glacier Ridge and uh, and tasted through some Glacier Ridge wines there and did a tour of the vineyard uh, with the uh, the vineyard manager who is a Damiani. And uh, that was a, a a really uh, just great experience to get some some more vineyard time and to to feel bad about. <clears throat> their Syrah vines that they lost so many over the winter, uh, but uh, they're, they've been convinced to plant more. And so, uh, you know, the dream lives on. <laughs> and then from there, uh, dinner with uh, Oscar and Fred and the, the clan. And uh, it was quite, quite fun. Everyone had some friends in town and uh, we opened a lot of Italian wine. Um, and I blinded them on a Chinon Rosé. Uh, and so Chinon Loire Valley, 100% Cab Franc. And I think the first thing out of both of their mouths was, well, it's definitely not Cab Franc. And I said, okay, go, keep going. Tell me more. <laughs> and so it goes to show that blind tasting is hard, hard for even the most seasoned of blind tasters. Uh, and uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a really good night. So Fun. All right. And I let's see. So... Is the next day when you went out to Niagara? Nope. <laughs> Still got one more. Still got one more day in the Finger Lake. So this one uh, wasn't too crazy. Um, I let's see, what did I do? I went to see. Now I think I'm mixing up mixing up my visits. But um, we should talk about Scout. I got yeah. to go to Scout. Uh, I got to taste at Element uh, at the FLX Provisions. 
Uh, I went to Standing Stone. And oh, and I met with Josh Wig at Lamoro Landing, and that was the the rest of the uh, the rest of the Finger Lakes visits, uh, along with a, a dinner at Chris Bates's, uh, just for fun. All right, all all very cool places. Let's see, Scout Element, Lamoro, Standing Stone. So the one that listeners would probably be the least familiar with would be Scout, um, although those there's bottles of that are starting to pop up more and more. So what was your what was uh, your takeaway there? I, I thoroughly enjoy those wines, and I went there based on your recommendation from our previous podcast. Cool. So you, you, you met with Daniel and Olivia? Yep, uh, and they were absolutely lovely. They got a great little spot, uh, and the wines were really good. Um, I absolutely loved uh, their barrel-aged Chardonnay. Uh, they do it in just kind of one big 600-liter uh, neutral oak barrel and was um, was just beautifully beautifully balanced and then they do another one and it is their marquette nouveau and so made in the kind of beaujolais nouveau style but using marquette uh as the grape and it was a really lovely wine to drink i I have mixed feelings about just Nouveau as a marketing concept, (laughs) Uh, mainly because London just gets flooded with so much crappy Beaujolais Nouveau. I'm super Uh, into it. I love it more. I want there to be more bad Nouveau (laughs) and good Nouveau. Well, what it does is it does elevate the good Nouveau, right? And so what you end up having to do is, is just reconcile the, 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 the bottle price for good nouveau versus versus bad. And if you could get your consumers to wrap their head around that, I, like I said, I, I loved the Marquette nouveau and, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, the bottle's coming back with me to the UK. So, uh, yeah, those were the, definitely the highlights for me, but, um, all the wines across the board were, were quite tasty. We've got that Marquette nouveau on our shelf. So we're at Paul Brady wine and beacon as well. So people come and get that. Get it. Uh, okay, uh, Standing Stone and Lamoureux, those are fun. And then we'll maybe finish this day with your, I'm sure, your your dinner at Chris Bates's, which probably didn't include that much food or that much wine. It was probably pretty modest. From from what I remember, it was, it was good. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's, let's hit uh, those other two first. Standing Stone, quality and consistency is has never been better. I very much enjoy everything that they're doing with Saparavi. The rosé is delicious. The, the reds are great. And then they're they're playing with some other stuff. Their Gewürztraminer are really really nice. Love the Gewürz. That's just really good fruit there. Yeah. When did they did they used to make some ice wine with Gewürz too back in the day when it was the previous owners? Maybe. Yeah. Thought so. But good sight. You know, another one that's just got really wonderful views. I sat at a high top table out on the deck. Can't complain. And uh, they're doing some sandwiches and snacks now too, which uh, just makes for a really nice experience. And and that sandwich was um, was vital to my success for the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well done, sandwich. Uh, Lamoro Landing was was a bright spot of the trip. I mean, I, I very much enjoyed uh, tasting along with Josh uh, Wig, and uh, he is uh, just very friendly and a good company. And so um, their wines just really um, impressed me, and they always have. They've always been been quite good, but for for whatever reason, this this visit they really um, they really stood out to me. Everything from you know their Rieslings to the the Cab Francs. Um, I love what they're doing with single vineyards, and they're going to start to expand that into their Cabernet Francs beyond the state cab franc and the t23 which is the stainless steel cab franc which i absolutely love that wine yeah the t23 is like uh, just uh, i don't know becoming the most famous cabernet franc in the finger lakes i've got a few back vintages of it in my wine fridge and which reminds me 
I need, we need to have Allison Sloot on as a guest. We, she and I did a pod a while ago. Do you know her? She's Cab Front Chronicles on uh, Instagram up in uh, Toronto. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, yeah, we should have her for for an all all out Cabernet Franc day of fun uh, podcast. Uh, and I need to open those back vintages of the T twenty three. So Mark Wagner, who is the owner, and I mean, my gosh, like there are so many Wagners and Hazlitts, like for people to keep track of. Anyway, so this is Mark Wagner. He's the grape grower and owner of Lamoral Landing. Josh Wig is also a partner, and. I've never met Mark. I've seen Mark uh, around, but I've never sat and had a conversation with him. And I gather that he's quite a quite an intense person. And those are some really great vineyards. And I would like to meet him because I just keep wondering. I'm like, how the hell are these wines as inexpensive as they are? I mean, we've we've got the T23 on our shelf for 22 bucks, and I just look at it and I'm like, someday it's going to be a lot more expensive. And I just keep telling people. Buy it now while the getting's good, and, uh, and and I was asking someone about that, and they're like, "Oh, Mark just likes to keep the prices low, keep it accessible." Uh, I mean, listen, I I was introduced to their new UK importer, who's got four of their wines: uh, the T twenty three, the Gruner, the Riesling, and and one other I, I I forget, but I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised at the prices even even after exchange and imports and all that kind of stuff uh i am very excited to uh to get these wines uh with good wine good people awesome uh okay so let tell tell me about your dinner with bates so i i rock up and the absinthe fountain is on the table and i think that should just <laughs> kind of say it all what, you don't have an absinthe fountain like down in myrtle you beach have an absinthe fountain just uh and so you know a little funny funny little things like that kind of kind of popped up throughout the throughout the the day as they do drank a lot of cabernet franc it was mostly loire cab franc uh, a couple of different vintages there which were really nice to work through and then we tried uh, a bunch of uh kind of his unreleased stuff that'll go into his new label he's got so much stuff in barrel and tank and things to play with and so he's just looking for the the quintessential wine that encapsulates uh what they're trying to do with this new brand uh to be their first release and so that's that's definitely something to look forward to there yeah and that's all coming from the vineyard that they purchased a few years back right yeah yeah that'll be be interesting to taste yeah yeah, and so he's always, you know, just very exciting to 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 kind of keep an eye on because his projects are unique. His his restaurant empire is, you know, expanding by the day, and uh, he's doing just really great stuff. I very much enjoyed my tasting at FLX Provisions as well, uh, right next to FLX Table on Linden Street. And uh, yeah, he's got a lot of great great stuff to work with, and the the wine selection in the shop there is also really really wonderful. I was able to pick up some like tin fish too, and things like that, and. Uh, and and yeah, it's a it's a great um, addition to to the region. I think uh, what they're doing is is just uh, very important. You know, from a from a hospitality perspective, from uh, a tourism perspective, I think those are the, the things that uh, the region uh, really needs. You know, to continue to to grow. Yeah, and you know what they they could have gone and done that anywhere, quite honestly. And I think that you know they're you know we we really should nod in their direction for for doing it where they have. Yeah. And so, you know, he and Isabel are just always wonderful company and, and uh, the conversation is is always hilarious. And so you leave you with your face hurts from just smiling so much and, and your tummy hurts because you ate way, way, way too much food. You just have to balance it out with Fernet Bronca. I guarantee we did a digestive. 
<laughs> I couldn't 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 tell you what it was, but man, I guarantee we did it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Like, I think it was Christopher who once told me that he keeps a bottle on his bedside table. Well, we are approaching the hour mark, and we haven't even gotten to the Niagara uh, side of things yet. But I, like, I'm thinking part two because I do really want to hear about your experience there. Yep, I agree. So a couple, a couple fun announcements uh, that I have. So yeah, we'll we'll get Len on the podcast, Len Thompson of the Cork Report. Um, he's going to come on as a guest and talk about the recent shakeup at Wine Enthusiast, which has decided they're no longer going to review wines from uh, any of the states. Uh, outside of the West Coast, New York, and Virginia. So some of the emerging states that had been that have some exciting things going on, going on like Pennsylvania, Vermont, Maine, Michigan, Maryland. Yeah, so we're going to get Len on here and, and have a chat about that. And uh, I've got, uh, and you and I will talk a little more offline about this, but a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to be interviewing John Dyson, uh, the owner of Millbrook, vineyards here in the Hudson Valley, uh, who was the commissioner of agriculture for New York State when the Farm Winery Act was signed into legislation in 1976. So that's been something that I've been looking to do for a long time and finally got it together to set it up with the folks over at Millbrook. Um, so I, I'm very much looking forward to, to digging in and, and asking a lot of questions about uh, the events surrounding and leading up to that. For New York wine geeks, that's that's going to be a big one. All right. Well, uh, how many how many more days are you stateside? Back in uh, the UK in September. Hopefully, all these heat waves will have will have tempered. Uh, because again, no air conditioning. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be good to to get home and hit the ground running going into to Q4 with the the wine business. So we're we're excited. Sounds good. Well, drink a drink a sweet tea down there for me. Yeah, buddy. All right, I appreciate it, uh, and I will talk to you very soon. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Peace. This is a Northern Wine Odyssey presented by Cork Report Media. Big thanks to Dave Miller for our opening and closing music. Check him out at DaveMillerGuitar.com. Many thanks for listening. Onward and upward. See you next time.